Jesus turns water into wine. You and I have some instances where we want him to work on our behalf to turn our water into wine. How does that happen? How can we get Jesus to turn our water into wine? Welcome to Treasure Truth with Pastor and author James Ford Jr., Senior Pastor of the Christ Bible Church in Chicago. I'm Steve Hiller and glad that you're with us as we begin a new message from John chapter 2, A Wedding Gone Wild. But Pastor, I can't let those questions hang out there like that. How can we get Jesus to turn our water into wine? Well, we have to follow the principles that are in John chapter 2. That's what we're going to talk about. But first of all, you know, God never forces us to do anything. As sure. a matter of fact, just Sunday I was talking about it, talking about Jonah, and I said, God will not make you obey. But God will allow some things to happen that will make you want, want to, to obey. obey. Yes. He'll allow the pressure to build. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so why? Because he wants us to desire him. So we have to decide, listen, is my relationship with Jesus, is it I have to or I want to? Yeah. You see, I want Jesus involved in all of my stuff. In him, I live and move and have my being. And apart from him, I can do nothing. And when I really believe that, then I'm going to want him in every part of my life. You know, I often tell this story about my son when he was a shorty. That that means he's around about 11 or 12, and he liked Adidas. He had everything Adidas. And, uh, you know, the jogging suit, the shoes, the socks, everything, the hat, Adidas. And then I said to him, boy, it's a good thing they don't make underwear because you'd have Adidas. (laughs) You know what he did, Steve? He pulled up the band on his underwear. (laughs) He had taken a magic marker and he wrote in Adidas, Adidas, Adidas. And I said, he said, Dad, I know you're going to use it as a sermon illustration. You got that right. Because every area in our lives ought to have Jesus' name on it. And if it's not on something, then we need to write it in to demonstrate we're totally committed to him. Yeah. A few moments ago, you said something to the effect that it's not the have to, it's the want to. Talk to the person, if you can, in just a few seconds, who right now is feeling the have to and not want to. How can they get to the want to? Uh, Well, all you have to do is keep doing what you're doing based on what your desire is. There are four uh, desires. You do what you do because of discipline, duty, devotion, delight. Discipline says I do what I do because I have to. Duty says I do what I do because I ought to. Delight says I do what I do because I want to. And devotion says I do what I do because I love Jesus. Mm -hmm. So all you got to do is just let him know where you are. He'll come down and he'll turn that desire into the next level. Well, let's uh, open our Bibles to John chapter 2 as we begin this message, A Wedding Gone Wild. Here is Pastor Ford. I don't know if you know it, but uh, if you're married, you understand something that a whole lot of folk who ain't never been married don't understand. That is, marriage is bliss. I ain't heard not one amen from a married person. I'm going to get to the other part. I'm going to get to the other (laughs) part. Marriage is bliss. See, at that time, I thought all married people would say, amen, or leave a wife with, boom, elbow a husband. You better say something. You know, marriage, marriage is bliss, but marriage also is blisters. Most of us want the bliss 
without the blisters, but those especially been married 50 years and 45 years can tell you that the bliss comes with blisters. As a matter of fact, sometimes you get blisters before you get the bliss. You ain't going to pray with me up in here. Oh, yeah. Marriage has fallen on hard times, and we talk about it all the time. One man said it this way, bigamy is having one wife too many. Monogamy often is the same thing. Or like the woman who said, uh, a good husband is one who helps you solve all your problems. Problems you probably wouldn't have had had you not married him. And so, yes, yes, there are challenges, yes, and there are blessings. Uh, but, you know, weddings have a tendency to go wild, I'm, I'm telling you. Uh, one preacher said, uh, if there's anyone who knows of any reason why these two should not be joined together in holy matrimony, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. And in the back, a young lady, beautiful-looking young lady, got up with a newborn baby and started walking down the aisle, and uh, everybody turned their attention on her, and the fiancé, the bride-to-be, slapped her future husband, at which when the girl realized everybody was looking at her, she said, I'm only moving to get closer. <laughs> That's a wedding going wild. Amen. He ain't even married and got slapped. Yeah. Or, or how about the, the family? whose uh, uncle wasn't saved. And so he didn't know the difference between an epistle and the gospel. So when he heard John, they wanted him to read 1 John 4.18 at the wedding. And uh, it reads, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. But he didn't know the difference. I wonder, do, do you? Uh, uh, anyway, he went to John, the gospel, instead of John, the epistle, 1 John. And he, he read John 4, 18, and he had a nice baritone voice, and he got up, and he was very proud of what he was reading, and so he battled it out. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom you have is not your husband. What you just said is true. And then he just sat down, all proud he had read it, and of course, everybody was cracking up. It was a wedding gone wild. I've had many of them uh, myself. I've married hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And, and, I, and some of these I'll never forget. Like when uh, the reception had to be first because the wedding was late. <laughs> or how about this one? I know you remember this one, Pastor Lyles. You were here with me on that one. The, it was time for the wedding. There was only eight people. And they said, where's the bride? We're ready to start the service. She found out there's only eight people. Every hour, I said every hour, she kept sending somebody back. How many people? Eight, two hours, six, four. So the wedding reception was in our all-purpose room. Five hours later, actually four and a half hours, you know, but four and a half hours later, they were coming in for the reception we were directing him into the sanctuary. And they said, you got to have a reception? No, everybody come in and sit down. And so finally, there were 92 people, 96 people, 96 people, and she was ready to come out. The, the wedding was four and a half hours late. The eight people who were on time left hours ago. <laughs> this has got to be the icing on the cake. Some of you remember it. And, and, and somebody this morning said, Oh, how dare you share that? And I said, I asked permission of the family. And they gave me permission as long as I don't say any names. 
How about we waiting on the groom? One hour went by. Two hours went by. Three hours. Where is he? Where is he? Nobody. Four hours went by. And then we found out he was in jail. <laughs> he had got arrested on the way to the wedding. How about this one? Wedding gone wild. This brother is meticulous about time. All the weddings I've performed, only five ever started on time. This is one of them. He said, now I done told my mother she need to be here on time. I done told her I sent a car to pick her up. She don't want a car. If she's not here, we start. And she, he said, Pastor Ford, if my bride ain't at that door at 10 o'clock sharp, we are starting this wedding. That's what he told me. So we're standing over there, and I'm, I'm sweating because the mother's not here. They're supposed to be escorted in first. And so it hit 10 o'clock. He said, all right, it's time to start. Tell them to send them in. And so they announced his mother who didn't come. We started out, man, the bride came. And after the bride came down, the usher snuck his mother in and, and sat her down front where she could be there for the rest of the wedding. That's tough stuff. That's wedding gone wild. <laughs> yeah. You heard about the young lady. She told her father, Dad, I'm so nervous I might faint. He said, no, no, I'll help you. You only got to think of three things. The aisle, the altar, and a hymn. The aisle, the altar, and a hymn. And they heard her coming down the aisle saying, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. Well, certainly a wedding gone wild. Now, many of us have stories. If you were up here, you have as many as I have. You know, I don't know how many of you saw on YouTube the wedding surprise that the groom got when his fiance, his bride-to-be and father came down the aisle with swords dueling each other with lightsabers because they were both Star Wars fans. <laughs> Jesus had it happen to him before any of us had it happen to us. Here the text tells us he's at a marriage in Cana of Galilee. It's a wedding gone wild. A Wedding Gone Wild. That is the title of today's message here on Treasure Truth with Pastor Ford. And we'll get back to this teaching from John chapter 2 in just a moment. want to let you know that if you want to make sure that you don't miss any of this six-part series uh, from Pastor Ford called The Wedding Gone Wild, you can always come to our website right now and sign up to begin podcasting the program. Simply come to treasuretruthradio.org. And if you happen to use iTunes for your podcasting, would you go ahead and rate the broadcast? By doing that, you'll help us be found by even more people. Again, you can get started by coming to treasuretruthradio.org. Well, if you're just joining us, we are in John chapter 2 as we continue the message, A Wedding Gone Wild. Here's Pastor Ford. And here's the thing. Jesus turns water into wine. You and I have some instances where we want him to work on our behalf to turn our water into in the wine. How does that happen? How can we get Jesus to turn our water into wine? Well, there's four steps in the process. He says, listen, first of all, here it is. Christ's participation must be desired. What is it? 
So if you want water turned into wine, Christ's participation must be desired. Listen to this. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And so whoever these people were, they had the insight and the foresight to invite Jesus to their marriage ceremony. Now, I need to show you something here. Because in verse 1, it says, and the third day. What third day? Now, why does John do this? you got to understand why he says this. He wants us to connect this text with what was preached previously. What was preached previously, Pastor Ford? I'm glad you asked. You ask intelligent questions. Verse 45 to 51. Now, remember verse 46? They said, we found Jesus, verse 45, who the prophets did right, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel come to him and said, behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. Nathaniel said unto him, how do you know me? Jesus said, listen, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. So now he knows because Jesus was able to see him when Jesus couldn't see him physically. He's saying, oh, wow, this has to be the Messiah. Now, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered, verse 50, and said unto him, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. What greater things? Verily, verily, I send to you. Hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, that's the connective tissue to Jesus being invited. John sets it up because John has a theme. John does not write without purpose, neither do the other writers, but he's the only gospel writer that tells us why he wrote what he wrote. John 20, 31 is the key to interpreting uh, the gospel of John. He says, these things I've written unto you that you may know and that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. He says, listen, I want to tell you I'm writing for two reasons, validation and salvation. That's it. Everything that you interpret must fit within the context of what he gave us as the underlying hermeneutical rule for interpreting validation and salvation. What does that mean? That means if you go in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, looking for a miracle, and it's not connected to validation or salvation, don't expect God to answer it. Amen. He turned water into wine. Well, I'm getting my water turned into wine. Is it for the validation of his deity, messiahship, and it's for salvation of you or somebody else? Hmm. So what does he say? He says, listen, chapter 1, verse 51, I'm going to give you the talk. Chapter 2, I'm going to show you I can walk it. Chapter 1 my words. Chapter two, my works. So my word will be validated by my works. Everybody still with me? All right. I want you to stick with me now because I want you to understand this. So then what's he making a reference to? Genesis 28, when Jacob went to Luz, L-U-Z, went to sleep on a stone. I ain't got time for that, but you'll see that stone represents Jesus Christ. And uh, he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw a ladder. And on the ladder, he saw what? 
Angels doing what? Descending and ascending. Wait a minute. Descending and ascending. Why? Because they're coming from God because angelos is a transliteration. Angel is a messenger. So then who are angels? Messengers of God. What's one of the things they do? They take what God wants to say to us and bring it to us and what we want to say to God and take it to him. So then Jacob's ladder then is a picture of God's revelation to man and communication from man. Everybody still with me? If I lost you, say, huh? All right. So then, we sing the song, I am climbing Jacob's ladder. Why? Why are you climbing Jacob's ladder? Jacob didn't climb his own ladder. The angels climbed the ladder. Maybe you get an answer to prayer if you get off the ladder and let the angels climb. Now, what does Jesus do right now? He makes himself the ladder. So they are ascending and descending on him, which means then every word that God gives, because remember what he said? I saw the Lord standing at the top of the ladder. Oh, man, I can't, I, I can't help but get excited because the book of Hebrews, written to teach Hebrews how to stop being Hebrews, he breaks into the pages of the book of Hebrews, and he said, God, who at sundry time and divers manners, has spoken in time past by the prophets. But in these last days, he's got a ladder. <laughs> and it's not partial and parts meal, but he is John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Yeah, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten who's in the bosom of the father, he hath revealed him. Hey, hey let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. Two weeks ago, I was in the church where I said something like that, there wasn't nobody sitting down. I said, when I get back home, it's going to be hard because I was there for a whole week. I preached eight times in one week. I never seen so many people respond to truth like that. And, and he said, you think you want to come back next year? You think I wouldn't? <laughs> you think I wouldn't? And so he says, here it is, my words and my work will prove who I am. That's why we're going to go through the seven I am statements, words of Christ, and the seven signs, the works of Christ. John is going to do this all the way through. He's going to give us a word, I am the good shepherd. Then he's going to give us a work. He's going to give us a word, then he's going to give us a work. He's going to say, I'm going to prove to Lottie, Dottie, and everybody, Jesus is God in the flesh. And by the time I get done with you, you're going to believe it too. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he, and he says it, the son of man. Now, you know what they are? They're designations. I teach you this all the time, and you know it. He says that he's the Christ, that's the Messiah, the son of God. Doesn't mean he's a little God. Son of God, designation of deity. Son of man, designation of humanity. Son of David, designation of royalty. Son of Abraham, designation of treaty. That is covenant. So uh, one talks about his deity. One is humanity. One is royalty. One the treaty. And so here now he connects it together. Uh, uh, so notice in the text, though, it says his disciples. Now, at this time, uh, we know he has five. Some scholars say six. I was trying to find out who the sixth one is then. They, they said six, but they never named the six. So 
you know, all I saw was five, Andrew, Simon, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and John. Now, now, now notice now I'm still in verses one and two, and I'm, I'm still talking about, I'm going to get to it. I got to give you the theology before I give you the duology. Now watch this. And the mother of Jesus was there. His mother, verse five, twice she's called mother, not Mary. Hold on to that. So now here's, we have this wedding and it's going to be a wedding gone wild. Why? Because something's going to go wrong in the wedding. Let me say that again. Something is going to go wrong in the wedding. Now, according to the Mishnah, which is the commentary of the Jews, virgins were married on Wednesday. Widows were married on Thursday. And so what happens? You know it. I'm not going to go through it again. They're at a feast, which means what? They're in what phase of the wedding ceremony? Right. The betrothals first, then the wedding celebration. So they're in the celebration portion, right? Which means then, how long is there between the betrothal and the wedding celebration? One year. So a year has gone by, it's time to party. How long would it last? At least a week. So now, here it is. Here's duology. Jesus is here by invitation. Someone possessed the forethought and thoughtfulness to include Jesus in their wedding. Hmm. If you're married, I wonder, is he in yours yet? Because Ecclesiastes 4.12 says a threefold cord is not easily broken. Now, the marriage is here, but I want to apply it to everything. In other words, we should never be guilty of excluding Jesus from any area of our life. By virtue of his sacrifice at Calvary, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. He ought to be in every part of our life. So they invited Jesus. You're listening to Treasured Truth with Pastor Ford. And a good reminder that we need to have Christ a part of all of our lives. You're listening to a message today called The Wedding Gone Wild, and it's a look at John chapter 2. We'll continue this teaching next time of the broadcast. I do hope you make it a point to tune in. But if you do miss the program on the radio, you can always listen to each and every broadcast online. Come to our website. It's treasuredtruthradio.org. There you can stream a program, download an MP3 for free, or order a copy of the broadcast on CD. Again, that's at treasuredtruthradio.org. You know, we're able to bring you this Bible teaching program from Pastor Ford each day because of your generosity. So for those of you who are supporting Treasure Truth on a regular basis, a huge thank you for doing that. If you've never given a financial gift, I want to encourage you to do so today. You can give online by coming to our website. It's treasuretruthradio.org. Look for the link that says Make a Donation. You can click on that and then give a one-time gift or an ongoing monthly gift. It really is your giving that keeps this radio program on the air. Again, our website address, treasuredtruthradio.org. Well, thanks for listening today. Thanks also to our producers, Amy Rios and Ryan McConaughey. For Pastor Ford, I'm Steve Hiller. Treasure Truth is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.